The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome back to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined by this week my fantastic co-host, Christopher Smalls Angelos up in the city of brotherly love. Probably already ordered a pinstripe Bryce Harper jersey, but Smalls, how are you today? I'm back. I'm back, baby. I'm back on the wagon with the Phils. Now, I, I love baseball, but honestly, it's tough to watch bad baseball. And now we've got the best team. We're going to win a million World Series probably, get Trout in two years. It's going to be great. So you, you're right. I'm feeling tremendous tonight on Monday. How are you feeling? What's what's going on with your team? How are the Wizards doing? They're pretty bad. Uh, the good news is I, I I reserved a spot on the Caps bandwagon about like ten months ago. Yes, you did. No, when, later. Actually, it was probably later than ten months. When when did when is the Stanley Cup Finals? Because I would say I started watching them three games before the Stanley Cup Finals. So I've been a fan for a long time. It's been a rough time for us, but that's all we really got. But actually, the reason I bring up Bryce Harper, great great segue into our guest. We have Jeff Rafferty, uh, assistant coach at NJIT. And we actually asked him, he's a big baseball fan, he's a Red Sox fan, unfortunately, but we did ask him where he thought Bryce Harper was going to sign. We taped this before uh, he actually signed with the Phillies, and he said he thought he was going to sign with the Phillies, and I said I thought he was going to sign with whoever gave him $325 million. Turns out we were both right, but uh, we taped this with Raf right before they played Stetson, I believe, two weeks ago, and really a fun interview. They're actually playing right now. They're the five seed in in the Atlantic Sun Tournament. They are currently... At Florida Gulf Coast, it is 33 to 15 with about five to go in the first half. So hopefully we don't jinx him. But by the time this airs, we'll know if they won. But Smalls, I got a chance to watch him play after we recorded. I saw him last Monday uh, play a tight game against Lipscomb. And, you know, Raph is a great dude. Uh, he's been in the business. I said for 30 years, he's not quite that old. But 23 years, he's coached Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, a stint in the NBA. But uh, just a, an absolute lifer in the business and, and a guy who had a lot to say, I thought. How how was his demeanor on the bench? What were you were you kind of locked in on Raf a couple times? I'll tell you what, Raf makes sure that that you know he's there. Like he, I, I had heard he'd actually gotten ejected from a game this year by officials. I, I won't confirm or deny who told me that, but uh, there was a bad call right before the half. NJIT playing playing well. Lipscomb made a bunch of threes. Really tough to play at Lipscomb. They just they just like a freight train, but. It was fun to watch him and, and Sean Ritigliano on the other end, a little bit quieter on the bench. But, you know, Lipscomb is a uh, religious academy. So I would say that there's a little bit of some differences there. But, yeah, Raph was good. And, and they, they unfortunately lost. But like I said, they'll play Lipscomb again at Lipscomb if they, they are fortunate to win tonight. So hopefully I'll, I'll get to see him again. Yeah, that would be great. Well, 23 years. I mean, he talks about it in the podcast, but, you know, his passion has never left him. He loves the game, but he also loves everything that goes into it. I think hearing him talk about recruiting and how it's changed, I guess, but also stayed the same in a lot of ways and how he developed connections throughout his career, not only developed connections, but led other people to spots um, that have proved fruitful as well. Jeff's a great guy to talk to because like you said, 23 years in the business, he's kind of seen it all, especially being an assistant and associate head coach and all these different roles that he's had. Uh, hearing him, how he adjusts to different staffs, I think that was the most intriguing for me. And that's really what I wanted to uh, him to kind of talk on. And he really did a great job of that. Um, and I'm sure he's going to be in the business forever. 
Uh, so we oh, yeah. look forward to 23 more years of Jeff Rafferty for sure. I, I do think, Smalls, that, that is one thing that, that you said that's definitely true. You know, he spent a lot of time at Delaware. He was at uh, New Hampshire for a good while. He was at UMass Lowell for a while, Texas Pan American, you know, with the Celtics. Like he's had an opportunity to work with a lot of different people. And just we haven't talked about passion as much lately. I, I don't know why. You know, I, I think as we've listened to a lot of different people, like some you can hear it in and some you can't. Like Raf, though, I mean, he did he did this interview with us on the day of a game that he had not had shoot around yet. He had people walking into his office. You can't hear because I'm great at editing. But like he was ready to play. You know, he was ready to play Stetson that night. Like it was a big deal to him. And it's and I thought that was like refreshing, you know, because he got dealt a bad hand at Delaware. We talked about that a little bit. But just hearing kind of his like you said, his relationships, but also like we asked him what his best moments were. And it it went back to kind of each school and and stuff that he took from New Hampshire, stuff that he took from UMass Lowell, you know, his travel at at UT Pan American when he was right out of college, you know, when he was up at Union, what he kind of did to keep himself busy up there. And it's, it's, it's refreshing to hear that, you know, and we've had some guys where we've said before, like, you know, assistants, when you've been in it for so long, kind of like, what else do you do? And, And I won't spoil what he did, you know, in between jobs, but it's funny. It's funny to hear like how he felt a little bit lost while he, you know, when they, they were done at Delaware and then he was officially not working and he was fortunate enough to get a job before the start of the next season at NJIT. But that part was was cool to hear, Smalls, because it, it's it's you hear about guys getting burnt out. And, and I don't, like I said, you're right. I don't think Raf is ever getting burnt out like he that guy bleeds it, whether or not it's coaching, it's relationships, it's recruiting like I, I, I loved the interview from that standpoint, because it, it felt like you were talking to someone who you know, felt like I did my, my first year working for, you know, the Delaware 87ers making $0. And I was wide-eyed and innocent about how great I was going to be. And Raph, we're, we're still hearing that. And I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to keep that kind of perspective. But speaking of perspective, you mentioned it, uh, the different stops he had. I mean, life's a collection of stories. And he has all these different stops. And he's able to co- not only collect, but also reflect on these stories because each opportunity offers those unique perspectives in each student athlete that you encounter, the coaching staff so that you work with, and the people within the community that you meet as well. And I think the thing that makes Raf really good at what he does is everything, all of those elements, he takes it to heart and that feeds his passion. It's not just one element. It's not just X's and O's or coaching basketball. It's all of it together combined at every stop he's been at. And that's what fuels him and drives him. And I think, you know, we talk about on the podcast, but a lot. What fuels you as a basketball coach? What fuels you in your profession? You know, it's different. There's a lot of different elements that can go into that for different people. For Raf, it seems to be a combination of everything. And I appreciated uh, him enlightening and on us on all of that yeah and also just one of the funnier guys that we've had on yeah i I didn't i did not get it i did not get a chance to you know show him any locally local watering holes in nashville but you know i i am excited to you know meet him a little bit more because we had he had become come recommended to us and uh said he would be pure comedy and he, he was very very funny so uh other than that smalls i don't really have a whole lot else to say i do want to shout out nevada smith uh, a lot of times guys will talk about different things on this show and they'll talk about TV shows and you think they're lying. Well, very Cavallari premiered Sunday night and I texted him because I was like, you're a real busy guy. Just want to make sure your DVR is set. And he texted me back within 30 seconds, a Jay Cutler gif. So that guy's about the life. OK, I just want to put it out there. People are worried if, you know, do we get real guests on here like Nevada Smith? 
100% watched Very Cavalier's premiere last night, all the whole hour of it, and I'm excited. I haven't actually gotten a chance to watch it, so I'm the fraud, as you guys know, but I'm going to watch it when we're done here. But I'm excited to text him about it. But he also texted me back within 30 seconds, and so that, that made me feel pretty good, not to toot my own horn, but these are guys that are they're focused on relationships. Uh, also, conference tournament season, uh, we've been kind of tweeting it out from the Division Three, Division Two level. Obviously, the Atlantic Sun Tournament just started tonight. We will you know, keep you updated on results, especially anybody that's been on the show. Tons of great results, like we said. Uh, Lipscomb split the A-Sun title. Uh, Pete Lapis and FDU one seed in the NEC tournament. Am I right about that, Smalls? The so, ones they won. Yep, they are the two seed. Two seed, but, but the- they did co-champion the regular season. Um, I took the co out of my tweet because it's my guy. So, <laughs> but yeah, they're the two seed playing Wagner Wednesday night. Uh, you got Tommy Barrett, Sacred Heart playing uh, the sixth seed. I believe it's LIU Brooklyn. So they got home matches, and those two could meet. Could you? So you could actually see a CYS faceoff in the playoffs. I mean, the magnitude of that. If ESPN gets a hold of that, it's going to be scary. What we, we could see that. We could see that Thursday in Nashville as well. Matt Langle and uh, Colgate winning the Patriot League twenty win season. Unbelievable year for them. Uh, congrats to a couple other guys, Justin Scott for first NCAA tournament win in Arcadia history, Kevin App, Sweet 16, Division Three. Uh, who else, Smalls? Matt Matt Hunter, yeah, got Matt uh, Hunter first round win in the uh, NCAA tournament. What else? Who else am I missing, Smalls? I don't know. I'd have to go through my Twitter fingers, but we got we got a lot of good stuff heading up. I mean, uh, Joey know, Gallo, right? Yeah, Joey Gallo won his Northeast quarterfinal game, so they're in the semis, and they locked up a place in the tournament. But you got the Division Twos. Conference tournaments starting, the low D1s, and then followed by you're going to have the Big East and the majors. So this is a really fun time. Everyone knows about it, but it's a great time. Watch these conference tournaments so you're ready for March Madness um, to get those gambling fingers ready. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. As I always say, please get in touch with us. Smalls tweeted this out, but uh, we're going to be at the Final Four. So, you know, let us know if you're going to be there. Let us know what kind of content you want to see. Uh, we're going to have some crazy interviews. Definitely be go live with some different people that have been on the show before. But reach out to us. We're Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Leave us a review. Rate us five stars. You give us five stars and write a review. Screenshot it. Send it to us. We'll send you a koozie. I'll also have koozies at the Final Four, so just come find me free of charge. Just make sure that when you're having your kombucha, your adult soda, your matcha, your bottled water, your seltzer, whatever. Just make sure you got the CYS koozie on there. And then, Smalls, uh, next week we're going to dive back into the NBA realm. Huge interview for us next week. Uh, really great guy. Not We will tease it more on Twitter. Not going to get into it now. But uh, enjoy this interview with Jeff Rafferty. And uh, for all your young coaches out there, you, you should aspire to be like Jeff Rafferty if you're fortunate enough to be in this business in, you know, 23 years after you start. Because, like I said, refreshing personality, tons of humor, Loves it, passionate, and uh, I enjoyed it, so I hope you guys do as well. And for everybody out there, thank you so much, as always, for listening.
All right, welcome on. Jeff Rafferty, assistant coach at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Raff, you guys are 18-9, and 6-6 six and six in the Atlantic Sun. You have a game against Stetson tonight, but uh, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm a fan of your show, so I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be here, but, but things are good, man. We've had a pretty good year. We're in a little bit of a rut right now, so we got to... Uh, we got to fight through this nor'easter that's happening in in Brick City right now, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, play a little better tonight. Make some shots. Yeah, you guys actually have lost your last three games by a combined four points. You know, as a veteran assistant, how do you kind of bounce back from that and 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 prepare for the rest of the conference season? I think there's four games left in conference before the conference tournament. Yeah, we got four left. Uh, you know, every Every season has its peaks and valleys, man, and, and we uh, we get off to a really good start, obviously, and and, uh, and and we seem to be winning all the close games early in the year, and, and uh, you know the tides kind of turned the last week and a half or what have you, and, and uh, honestly, we can sit here and, and break down stats and and look at different reasons why. I'm telling you, like. <laughs> The difference between the last week and a half and, and the first two months of the season is, is you know, there was some close games where, where our shots went in and, and uh, we're just not statistically shooting the ball right now as well as we were earlier in the year. Um, we have a couple key wing guys that have been out with injuries, so that's hurt our depth. Um, and also, you know, teams now, because we're struggling to shoot the ball, all of a sudden, teams, we've been zoned the last three or four games, and, and uh, we haven't been able to figure it out. So, again, man, it, it, it was just one of those things where, you know, it's hard to win games in college basketball. We all know that. But when things are going well, you know, you got to be a good team to, to put yourself in a position to win games consistently. But, you know, when things are going well, it seems like, you know, you may you may get a couple key calls down the stretch, you know, and, and you know, you get some timely three pointers when necessary. When things aren't going well, it's like, oh, why'd we miss the front end of that one and one? And oh, that free throw box out, or you know, oh, he had that wide open look, and and you know, player X had that wide open look, and he makes that shot all the time, and he didn't make it tonight. You know what I mean? So it's there's so many ebbs and flows, not only in a game but in a season. And right now, we're we're just uh, we're in a little bit of a rut, and we gotta we gotta fight through it. Yeah, I actually want to talk about the Atlantic Sun for a second. So you guys, as I mentioned, New Jersey Institute of Technology, Newark, New Jersey, NJIT. The Atlantic Sun, you're the only team that's north of Virginia. You know, you were in the CAA for a while, so kind of experienced some going south. But what are what are some of the challenges being a team like NJIT in a conference like the Atlantic Sun, both recruiting and on the court? Well, I would say this, and 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 I am a huge fan of of the Atlantic sun and being in the Atlantic sun, because I think, it make, I think it makes us different. Um, you know, we, we can recruit, we, we can recruit the South. Uh, we can recruit nationally, but we can really recruit the South because we're spending half the year down there. So that excites kids from down South in, in Florida, Georgia, wherever. Um, and then we could, to those kids, we can also, obviously we're selling a great, great academic school, but we can also sell the fact that we're 15 minutes from, from New York city. So, so that, that excites kids down South in terms of recruiting kids from the North, we're different than recruiting against the Mac or, 
or the CAA or the NEC or the America East or the Patriot League because we're, we have such a different geographical, you know, it, it makes it exciting to the kids up north that we're playing against different schools and they're going to spend, you know, their winter, half their winter down in, in sunny Florida as opposed to Bangor, Maine. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I look at it, as, honestly, I look at it as a strength and and, and a po- definitely a positive. Um, in terms of the negatives, there's certainly some, you know, I would say the biggest is, is just travel, man. It's like, it, it's hard on these guys. And, you know, I say it all the time, people, the general public only sees, only sees the games, you know what I mean? And what, what, you know, these student athletes and division one basketball players as a whole go through during the season in terms of travel and bus trips and being away is, is hard. I think it's a little bit harder here because, you know, we are on the road so much and this isn't something like we're not going down to, to Nashville or, or Florida Gulf coast and chatter, you know, chartering home that night, we're flying commercial the next day. You know what I mean? And one example, I guess guys would be earlier in the year, we had a Saturday game at North Alabama, all right, and and they're new to our league. So the closest airport that flies direct from from Newark is um, is Nashville. So we flew down Thursday morning for a Saturday game. We land in in Nashville. We take a two and a half hour bus trip to Florence to Florence, Alabama. We practice there Thursday night. We get up. We practice Friday, game prep, what have you. We play Saturday. I think it was a late afternoon game. Um at North Alabama. After the game, we take a two and a half hour bus ride back to Nashville. Sunday, we get up and we fly back to Newark. So we played one college basketball game in the middle of January and we were gone for four days. You know what I mean? So that you don't see that often. Um, everybody, every league has their challenges. Every, every different school has their challenges. I would say the biggest, you know, you asked that negative would just be the amount. It's just not easy to be in our league geographically. Um, but again, I, if it was up to me, I I I, I love I love the league. I, I, it's an exciting league. It's an exciting style of basketball. You know, again, if you're going to be on the road, you know whether whether we're flying to every conference game or or you know or bus, and we're still you, you're still missing a whole lot of time, and you're being on the road. I, that one trip though kind of stands out to me. The other thing that I think our league needs to figure out is we we have an odd number of teams this year, so we don't have travel partners. So like we play four games in Florida this year, but we we took three different trips to 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 Florida. You know what I you know in the past and in the future, I hope we're going down there and playing two games in Jacksonville one week, and then you know fly down there a month later and we do the, the Stetson Gulf Coast trip as opposed to uh, you know this weekend we're flying down to Jacksonville Saturday, we're flying down Friday, play Jacksonville Saturday, flying from Jacksonville to Nashville Sunday, playing Lipscomb Monday, flying back Tuesday. You know what I mean? So. Um, so that'd be the only thing, man, that, that'd be the only thing. But again, it's, it's, it's snowy and cold as anything up here today. And we spend most of our winter down South in, in the sun. So that's not it, so bad. I mean, it's absolutely been a positive for NJIT over the last four years, I think. I mean, I remember what happened when they, you know, announced they were going to the A-Sun and everyone was like, oh, this is great. And then, you know, you get a couple big wins and you've been very competitive in conference. Like, I think it's definitely been a positive. I just think it's interesting at the low major level, cause you're right. Like, you're just on you're on birds all the time, and it's like, all right, guys, got to go to class, but also like you got to make your commitments in conference. So I just was curious, just because the recruiting thing I think is really positive, because you can get New York City kids that'll play against Southern kids, and they love playing against kids from the South too. Like it's a different style of basketball. Yeah, it's a different style of basketball. It's just a different. We again, man, we, we 
this place sells itself academically. And then, and then we got this, this new arena, man. I don't know if you guys know much about it, but we, you know, we just moved into a $110 million arena and practice facility, you know, and, and, you know, I, I got here two and a half years ago. This job has completely changed in the time I've been here. So we, we obviously can sell the academics. We can sell one of the best on-campus facilities on the East coast. And then again, it's just, you got to find niches in recruiting. You guys know that. And, and our niches were different. And, and I like, I like that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, again, we can sell it to the kids up North and, and, uh, or we can sell it to the kids down South. So that's really taken off since not only getting into the league, but, but also this new facility. Yeah. And I want to, I want to actually stay on recruiting for you personally. You've been to a lot of different places and you've been very successful. You have a great reputation in recruiting, how have you kind of evolved from the beginning of your career, you know, throughout the different phases and the stops, especially Delaware, where you were part of an awesome staff and you did such a great job and then moving to NJIT uh, after that? Well, I just think, you know, I, I, I don't, I, recruiting to me is, is, first of all, I think you got to have, have an eye for talent. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt about that. You know, at some point, you know, if if you don't know what you're doing, then it'll catch up to you. So I think you got to have an eye for talent. I think you got to really enjoy doing it because it take, to be good at it, you got to spend a lot of time doing it. Um, you got to obviously work hard, and you got to relate well with people, whether it's it's you know student athletes, prospective student athletes, their coaches, people on your staff. Uh, there's a you know parents. Um, you got to you got to be able. To, there's a lot of different things that go into it. Um, so I don't know how have I evolved. I've always considered myself kind of a people person. Um, this is an area of the job that that I enjoy doing. There's a lot of areas of the job that I enjoy doing, but I think early on in my career, you know, my mentors or what have you told me like if you want to make a name for yourself, you better be able to get good players, you know, and and recruit good players. And I've been fortunate because I've worked at at really every level of college basketball and and. Um, you know, I, I think we had some success early on when I was at um, when I was at Springfield, and and we, we you know we recruited some good young players, and then you know I whatever I went from there to Union, but then we got to UMass Lowell, and we inherited a very good team, but but we we got really we got lucky. I say that that we got some good pieces to put around the kids that we inherited, and we we had a great run there, and you know I've been able to work at different places for different people. I, I would say. The most important thing is is uh, is really you got to identify what your team needs, what your program needs, uh, and and you also you know what type of player, what type of player and system you know your program needs, and that's so important. I because I, I think if for example like I don't know if you're going into if if you're working for a guy that's run the Princeton offense for. for 25 years and that's what he knows and that's what he's been successful with well you better get some guys that can pass dribble and shoot the ball and you may not necessarily you know you need you know three wing players and six seven to six eight athletes you know what I mean you need you need guys that can make shots and, and know how to play so you got to identify your system you got to identify what your program needs for that year and that's always evolving that that's that's been a big change in the game since I've been in it 25 years ago. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's a revolving door a little bit in terms of transfers and, and, you know, every year going into the season or going into the recruiting season, you know, if you, 
you have three scholarships and you need, you know, you might need a point guard, a wing and a big, and you might get those guys early. And then, you know, following the season, you have two kids transfer and, and all of a sudden you need, you know, two, two front court kids. It's just, it's constantly like we've been done recruiting the 2019 class since September. We got five commitments early. Okay. But I have a folder that I keep of all available 2019 guys that I liked last spring and over the summer. And I just, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not communicating with them because we're done, but I'm keeping tabs on who's recruiting them and what's going on because something may pop in the spring. You know what I mean? And I think you got to be ready. You, you, you got to be ready for that. So I don't know. I, you know, how have I evolved? I, I, you just try to evolve with the game. You try to evolve with the, with the changes in NCAA rules. Um, and you try to, you know, stay a step ahead of it. But, but, at, but at its core, I think, I think recruiting is all about, you know, doing it the right way and, and, you know, just having a passion for, for, no, for being in the gym, honestly, you know what I mean? And, and you got to spend a lot of time evaluating, but then you also got to, you got to find out what makes a kid tick and, and who are the hammers, you know, who are the people that are going to help him make the decision around him? Is it a high school coach, an AU coach, an uncle, a father, an aunt, a, you know, mother, a grandmother, you got to figure out who's important to the kid. And, you know, recruiting, it's interesting to me because every, every situation is completely different. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and I enjoy that part of it because it's it's never the same. You know what I mean? It's there's never it's a routine, but no conversations the same. No, I th- I think you you're spot on, and you know I appreciate that that sentiment. It's something more in depth that we've heard on recruiting and your philosophies and specifically. Now you're in your third year, as we mentioned at NJIT. After nine years at Delaware, what was it like for you coming from a very successful staff at Delaware and then? to a, a, essentially a new coaching staff and a new regime at NGIT? You know, it, it was exciting because it was a great opportunity. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed my time uh, at the University of Delaware. Um, you know, they, we, we, we were fortunate to be there for nine years. Uh, we might have got a little bit of a raw deal at the end, but, but whenever you go through four I, I guess whenever you go through uh, four you, you got a wrong deal. Five, <laughs> Let's, I'll throw that out there. <laughs> For sure. Four, we went through four school presidents and five ADs in the nine year I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like one of the clear issues with the Delaware situation is just that they had no idea where they wanted the program to be by the time you guys were done there. You know, like it just was such a clusterfuck of like who was in charge and who was making the, I mean, we can call it what it is, Raph, you know, like, but with that, you know, with that being said, so we, you know, we had a good run there. It didn't end the way any of us wanted, but you know, I, I looked at the NJIT situation. I'd known the Kennedy family and I'd known Brian, um, and obviously his brother Rob real well. And when I came down to interview, I mean, I, I interview with him and, you know, we're in the old Fleischer gym, which is the worst high school gym in college basketball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Worst high school gym in college basketball. And, and, you know, in, in, in the building I'm sitting in right now was, was a pile of dirt. And, and uh, over the next 12, 15, 16 months, I mean, they built this gorgeous arena. So it, it was exciting to me because it was new. Um, I, I, thought, I thought that, you know, being in the Atlantic Sun was, was going to be a good thing. I thought that obviously the arena was going to sell itself and it's a really good academic school. It was a, you know, a school on the rise. So I was excited about that. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, it, 
Brian was putting together something new. He was a, he was a first time head coach, and and my my career has been kind of strange because I've worked for a lot of first time head coaches. Um, so I thought that I, you know that could work in my favor and work in Brian's favor, and and that's one of the things that I kind of you know sold him, and and um, it was exciting. I knew the guys that were on the staff. He obviously retained Kim Waiters, um, and he had hired Kevin Driscoll, who's a dear friend of mine. So I was excited about the opportunity. Um, my wife back home was excited about the opportunity because I had been out of, you know, partially out of work for whatever. I was I was staying on as the interim at Delaware, but we knew that wasn't going to last. Right. And uh, and you know, my wife was excited because there's only so many afternoons you can spend at Delaware Park betting the ponies. So it was time. <laughs> it, was time for me, it was time for me to go back to work. So um, I was excited. We got up here. We got right to work, and and um, I enjoyed building the program from the ground up. We did it at Delaware. You know, um, at New Hampshire, we would take, you know, we were, we were starting from scratch and building something, you know, at Lowell, we, 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 we inherited a good situation and I thought we made it a great situation. Um, my first job, I, you know, after working for the Celtics, interning with the Celtics was at Texas Pan Am and that was a new job and we were taking over, you know, so I'm, I'm used to that kind of program building. I enjoy it. I, I, uh, and I, and I saw this as, as a similar type of opportunity and, you know, nine years in one place is a long time. So it was time for a new challenge and, and uh, I embraced it and, and uh, it's gone really well up here. We actually, we've talked about Delaware a little bit, but you were associate head coach, uh, named associate head coach prior to the 2013-14 season when you were, you guys ended up making the tournament. Do you want to take credit for that as the title change was a big reason why the guys played harder and you guys won the CAA that year? Yeah, I told Mont, man, if he had named me associate head coach five or six years earlier, we, you know. I'd probably be the head coach there now, and he'd probably be coaching the L.A. Lakers. <laughs> In all seriousness, you guys, you go from a program that starts 5-26, and 26, and then, you know, you end up, I think that last year in the CAA, or the year you won the CAA, you guys won your first 13 games, I think, in the league. But what, I mean, kind of what went into it? I mean, you guys had really good players, you know, Devon Sadler, Jarvis Threat. I mean, Marvin King Davis was very good. Jameel Higgins didn't obviously play on that team, but like, you know, really good players, but what was kind of the ultimate slow building process to get to that season where you ultimately make the NCAA tournament? I thought early on, Monte was there one year before I got there. Uh, yep. Yep. They took a lot of local kids. I, I thought, I thought, you know, they inherited Herb Courtney. They, they took Mark Eggerson from Georgetown on a transfer. They took uh, Jim Ledson on a transfer from Nebraska and they took, uh, and then, you know, Jawan Carter on a transfer from St. Joseph. I thought those kids helped improve the talent pool that we had inherited at Delaware, gave us a little bit of um, stability, try, you know, in, in, instead of being at the very bottom of the league, kind of get you to the middle or, or just below the middle. So I, I thought those guys, you know, I don't know if you can consistently build a program with all transfers, but I thought those guys at least made us competitive. Um, and then, you know, to be good at recruiting, like, like I, it, you gotta, you gotta be good at recruiting. You gotta work hard, but I believe that you're going to get lucky with kids. You're more likely to get lucky with a recruit if, if you're working hard, um, and, and doing things the right way. And, and I thought we were in a little bit of a rut in the transition, uh, of building the, the year we were really needed to step it up or I thought we could have stepped it up. Brian Johnson, our starting point guard, blew his knee out in August and that killed us. So we were getting to the point, you know, where we were year three, four, you know, and we needed to we needed results. 
you know what I mean? And, and, uh, we needed results. And, and I thought the the year that we got the two kids that stand out to me, you know, we, we got Jamel Haggins and Josh Brinkley in that same class. And those kids at freshmen, they, they start, Jamel started every game. Josh started most games and, and played a lot of minutes. And those guys got beat up up front as freshmen. But I just remember thinking to myself, well, as sophomores, they're going to be better. And as juniors and seniors, we're not going to see these same mistakes. And that coincided with us um, with us getting uh, Devon Sather. And Devon was actually in that same class. But, you know. Yeah, I, he ended up prepping, right? He went to. Yeah, he, he committed he committed to me in August before his senior year. But I, I thought, honestly, guys, that it was going to be a two-year process to get him qualified. And that's what happened. But that ended up being out great because, you know, he went away to prep school and it was, it was a different world than Aberdeen, Maryland, being up at, at Winchenden. So, so those three kids committing to us and sticking with us really turned the program around. And then once we started having success that following year, you get Jarvis and Marvin and, you know, whomever else. We, we, we really – there was two or three years in a row where I thought we did a good job recruiting. Um, I thought that uh, – I guess it was 13, 14 we went to the tournament. Um, so 12-13 I thought was a really, really good team. Um, and then 13-14, you obviously lose Jamel and Josh, but, you know, Carl Baptiste uh, stepped into a more prominent role. And he had a, you know, that kid had a good freshman year at St. Joe's, struggled as a sophomore, was a role player for us as a junior. He had a, he had a really big senior year for for, for us. And then and then and, and Raph, did, yeah, you took Davon Usher, right, as a grad transfer and made him a four-man? Yeah, we did that that's where we got really lucky cuz I thought we were really good and then we got we got Davon Usher who, you know, you, you want to hear the story, man. It's like Sadler comes in my office and and, and says, "Coach, man, there's, there's there's a kid in Baltimore that's my boy that's looking for a new school and you know, it was unbelievable. We 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 got lucky with him and and Chris Cheeks was 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 really important in helping us secure him as well, and and uh, you know, so getting him put us over the top, you know, and and uh, and and I thought that that team, I thought those two teams were really good teams, and and it certainly showed on the court. And when you have a kid like uh, you know a kid like Devon Sadler, um, he was our best player in practice every single day. And 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 when your best player is is your best practice player, that that's usually a, a sign of good things. So, yeah, I actually went to two games that season. I saw you play Towson at your place. It was a big game. Jarrell Benjamin. Uh, I was working for the eighty sevens, so we were close. So I saw you play Towson at your place. It was like a noon game, and you guys won going away. I remember being super impressed with Benjamin, though. And then I watched that like College of Charleston like wild ass comeback. I think you guys were eight and zero going into that game. And Usher had like 45, and he had like 40 in the second half. It was re- one of the best performances I've ever seen. It was ridiculous. It was like, yeah, he had, yeah, he had like 34. I don't know, in the second half, it was incredible. It was a big comeback. You know, we we had dudes following out. I remember we put in a a, a walk on, a six eight walk on Tommy Williams. We were pressing. We put him at the top of the press, and the kid came up with a couple steals. Everything that did it could, you know, needed to go right did go right in the second half, and that was a heck of a team performance. Uh, but but that was it was great because Davon's grandmother had passed away that morning, so it was a really emotional game for him. And and uh, that's that, you know I'm glad you guys brought that up because that's a game, you know, there's certain games and there's certain teams that, that you, you never forget. But that that was a special night, uh, you know, back back in '14. Guys, we've got to take a quick break. 
to talk about a podcast that represents the biggest dumpster fire in the NBA. If you like our show, you're going to love the official Lakers podcast on Podcast One Sportsnet. Join Emmy-winning sportscaster Susie Schuster, along with producer Aaron Larsoul, this week as the all-star team faces off against the LA Clippers, the Denver Nuggets, and the Boston Celtics. Download the official Lakers podcast every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcast. All-star team, Smalls. That's what they're calling the Lakers these days. <laughs> well, Tyler, every car comes with its share stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already know, you already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Card today. True cash offer not available in all areas. And now back to Jeff Rafferty. Raf, did you guys feel like going into a season like that? You know, it's a one bid league, and we'll get a little bit into this later on. But like, did you feel like going into that season, like you you knew, like, all right, we we have a chance to be the best team in the CAA? But like, as a staff, how did you make sure you challenged guys every single day? Because I agree, like, I think you guys were picked preseason number one that year, so it's That's tough with like a target on your back. I don't think we were. I, I I think we will pick like three or four. So so our motivation was done. We didn't have to. They, that's the one thing that sticks out to me about that particular team. We felt like in eleven and twelve and twelve and thirteen we were getting a lot better and we had good teams. And then and and we we overachieved, you know, according to the according to the polls and everything else. Then it got to be thirteen fourteen, and we thought we were really good, and we got picked third or fourth, and that's all we needed because. That's where a kid like Devon Sadler was different, man. Like he, he, I knew we weren't finishing whatever we would pick that year, um, and, and we didn't. We got off to that great start. We had a we had a brutal non conference schedule, but um, so so we didn't win some games that we should have. Um, and but once we got into conference play, we we hit, we hit a good stride, and and uh, yeah, I thought we were uh, I thought we were pretty good. Did you feel like at that point, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot for coaches is is staff chemistry. And, and you mentioned Chris Cheeks, but obviously Phil Martelli and, and Mont, you guys had been there together a long time. Did you guys feel like you were really in sync as a staff and everybody's role was really defined? I thought that that, uh, that staff, you know, and then the staff with Phil and, and uh, with Mont, Phil and Mike Begee's prior to Chris, uh, those, those, those two staffs, I, the staff cohesion was as good as any I've been a part of. Um, you know, and, and, you know, that's important, man. It, it's a long CA spot. You spend more time with these guys and the players, but, but the staff than you do your own family. So you, you got to like them. You got to believe, you got to believe in them. Um, and we certainly had it. I, I felt like we had it with, with those, those good teams at Delaware. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to work for a lot of good guys and good people and work with a lot of good guys and good people. And, and, um, you know, and and uh, th- that makes the job a whole lot more enjoyable, and and um, and and I believe it's it's 
know, staff cohesion is so important. Um, staff chemistry is so important. You know, you gotta, you gotta work hard. You gotta have guys that value their position. You know what I mean? And it's not like, oh, I should be, you know, I should be, I should be coaching in the ACC right now or, you know, I should be, you know, look at these guys that I worked camp with that guy and now he's a head coach in the NBA. Like, nah, man, you know, we've talked about that a lot, like be where your feet are. And it's hard to like, not look around, you know, Raph, like you've been in this business now almost 30 years, a little bit more than that, actually. And it's like, it's hard, you know, 30, not 30. 23, 24, don't get No, no, hold on. I can't do math. Yeah, 96, 96. Oh, my God. I'm such. I'm so fucking bad at math. That's why I wanted to go into coaching, Raph, because yeah. you don't have to do a ton of math. You look at the percentages. They do it for you. But you know? you're, you're a self-proclaimed analytics guy, so I don't really – is that just like spreadsheets doing it for you? Is that – like you got to have – you're really busting your ass here, man. On, on the spot, I, I just I, I was like, oh, 96. All right, it's 2019. Yeah, 23. It's I did I made a mistake on one we recorded earlier. But what I was gonna say is like we, we talk about this a lot. Like, how do you not let it bother you when you know people, especially like you know people that you definitely work harder than? And I'm not speaking just to you, Rev. I'm just saying a lot of guys think they work harder than people that catch different breaks than them. You know, h- how do you you stay in the moment and stay kind of where your feet are and and, and be grateful for the opportunities that you have? Because every day I wake up, man, it's like I'm either in the gym making the guys that we have better or I'm in another gym trying to find better guys. And, and that's a heck of a way to make a living. And, and man, I, I haven't worked a day in my life. I, this is a kid's game. You know what I mean? And it's an adult, like, don't get me wrong. It's an adult business. It's got adult ramifications, adult consequences, you know, and, and I, I got to put food on the table for my own family. But we're, you know, we're working at a kid's game and, and I, I just, I really enjoy being around young people and, and I really enjoy obviously the game of basketball. And, and, uh, so I try not to, of course, you know, I've, I've been involved with jobs that I haven't gotten. It's frustrating and this, that, but like, you can't listen, there's so many guys that when I started in, in, you know, 96 or 97, or was working the hoop group camps in the late nineties, early 2000. There's so many dudes that have come and gone in this business, good people, good coaches that, you know, just never caught a break. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and I've always had a pretty good job. You know what I mean? Do we aspire to want more? Absolutely. Do, do I aspire to be a head coach? Certainly. Um, or, or, or work at the highest level of college basketball. Yeah. That's I'm striving to do that every day, but you know, there's very few people that can wake up every morning and go to their job and feel good about what they're doing and believe in what they're doing. And, and uh, so I don't get that. You know, I, I don't I don't get that. It, it you know, it frustrates me and it, it, it's a tough business to make a living. It, it, it frustrates me when you, you see young guys or even guys, you know, my age or what have you, that they're, they're mad at the game or they think that they're owed something more. No, you get what you deserve. You know what I mean? And and uh, and, and you got to you got to you got to enjoy that. You got to enjoy the moment, you know, and and. Uh, so, you know, that's my thoughts on that. But but I will say, to, to bring it back, staff chemistry and cohesion is, you know, so important for successful basketball programs. Yeah, and you, you mentioned kind of, you know, the family dynamic of it and, and the business, the adult consequences. This industry, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. Time that you have to really you spend a lot of it on the court, on the road, recruiting in different gyms. How do you kind of balance that? with your family and personal life as well. How have you managed to do that over, like Tyler mentioned, your 23 years in the coaching (laughs) industry? It's hard. You know, I I would say the one, you know, people always want to know, you know, they think coaching college basketball must be amazing. It is. But but honestly, the one negative 
about what I do is the time away from, from my wife and kids. And, and you know what, it was, it's so ingrained in you. I've never done anything else, but coach college basketball. So you get so used to it. And when, you know, before you have kids, it's not that big of a deal. And then when your kids are young, it's not that big of a deal. Now, you know, as my kids get older, that's the only thing that, that really burns at me a little bit. And, and I, I think I've done a better job personally. Um, the last couple of years as my kids have gotten older, like, you know, if I'm not in the office or on the road, I, I try to be as home, home as much as possible or at my kids game. You know, I left yesterday afternoon, you know, I left at, at five 30 to rush to see my 10 year old daughter playing a game. And, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta try to do as much of that as you can, you know, and, and in terms of personal life, you know, personal time, other than the family, there, there is really no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm around good people. I'm around people that I enjoy. I'm around friends, you know, you know, when I'm on the road recruiting, I'll stay with buddies. So like that personal life thing, you know, it's, it, my, my, my life is basketball, my family and, and, you know, and then the personal side of things, you know, whatever I can intertwine with my personal life and enjoyment and hobbies between those two things I do, but, but it's all about being the best I can be at this job and then spending time with my family when I can. So I want to go back to something. This will be the last question for me before we enter segments. You've worked for a lot of different coaches. You've had a lot of different colleagues in terms of assistant coaches and staffs. How do you feel out and learn different head coaches, how they operate, their different leadership styles? And do you adjust in any way, personally or professionally, when you start working for a different coach? No question about it. I think, you know, every coach is different. Every Every guy I've worked for um, has a different leadership style. Um, and you got to be able to play off the guy you're working with or you're working for, however you want to you, you want to put it. You know what I mean? And, and some situations, you know, being an assistant or a top assistant or what have you, you got to you got to play good cop to the to the boss's bad cop or vice versa. You know, and and, and there's there's been different. You know, I've had different roles with different guys and, and, you know, that's something I'll, I'll speak of with Brian. Like, you know, I, we, Monte and I got so used to working when, with one another. Um, and I thought we had a real good work dynamic and played off each other pretty well. And then, you know, you come here and, and Brian's a first time head coach and, and we're trying to build a program. And I, I think that that's something, honestly, between Brian and I has improved, you know, this year. You know, I've noticed a big difference this year. Like, I, I know when to go to him with certain things. I know when not to go to him with certain things. You know, and and um, I think you got to be you got to be pretty good at reading people, and 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 then you got to you got to figure out what's you know what's best for the program and how to take it from there. You know, and and it's really it's it's, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting dynamic. I, I'm I'm thinking back right now to the different guys I've worked for. It's you know, I wasn't going to say a whole lot at UNH. Um, or in defensive shell drill that Bill Herrian wasn't covering. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, definitely. You know, where, where, whereas maybe here, Brian, Brian's a really good offensive coach, and that's that's his baby. That's what he wants to do. So, you know, 90% of the time the coaching I'm doing is on the defensive end, you know? So it, it's just it's it's figuring out what's, you know, where, where you know, my, my qualities or strengths can be best suited for the situation and, and you know, taking advantage of that. Raph, who's easier to work for, Brian Kennedy or Rob Kennedy? Um, I, never, I never worked full-time for Rob. 
That's a good answer. It's better when you when you work camp, when you're just a coach at camp, and all you got to do is just drink beers and eat wings. He's an easy guy to work for. When you're there a whole summer, it's it's hard. It's hard. Hey man, Brian's paying my paycheck, so I'm gonna take Brian's easy. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's go into coach speak. Uh, so we got two coaches from uh, two quotes from college basketball coaches. Uh, you're gonna help us break them down, Raph. Small's got the first. It's an issue everywhere, even with my own family. Yeah, phones are an issue. We waste a lot of time on the phones. I'm trying to get these guys to focus on things that are going to help them be better in basketball. The phones aren't one of them. You can't take the phone with you on the court. This is Rutgers head coach, Steve Peichel. You're an absolute lifer in this profession. Social media, cell phones, Fortnite. It's really running as rampant as Steve, uh, as he's making it be. Is is that true? Is that the case? Do you really find that happening and it's rampant in college basketball and with our young youth these days? Uh it's not a college basketball thing. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a real life. It's a it's a culture thing nowadays. I mean, everybody. It's you know, it, times have changed, man. Even, even in the like I remember 15, 10 15 years ago if a kid's cell phone went off in the locker room like coaches would lose their mind. Now it's like everybody's always on the phone, you know, and, and, but I, it, it's, it, to me, it's not a college basketball thing. It's every, it's my own kids, man. You know what I mean? I, I just, so I, I, it's, I don't know, it's a culture thing. And I think us as coaches, you know, you got to adapt. And certainly if you feel it's that important, you have certain team rules about phones and, you know, even I remember one of our early years at Delaware, I remember uh, Monte and Coach Dunphy having a conversation. Coach Dunphy was at, at Temple at the time, and, you know, Dump's like, you know, we, we started taking away cell phones on road trips when they got on the bus, and we returned <laughs> oh, them Oh, yeah. We, we were <laughs> a part of that. <laughs> Raph, Raph, let me, let me talk to you about that for a second. As one guy who took the cell phones for two years as a GA at Temple, guys turned in fake phones. Exactly. Like it, he, and he said he didn't care. Dump was like, I don't care. They have to turn in a phone. So one time, Khalif Wyatt forgot his, they called him dummy phones. So he, unpl- he unplugged the landline handset yeah. from the wall of the hotel and tried to put it in the phone bag. Khalif was special, man. Um, yeah, so I remember that. And, and, then, and then we did it at Delaware. We had a ton of Monte and myself, too. We, we And Phil and everybody, we had a ton of respect for, for Dump. So we, we did that. And... Uh, and they, they were doing the same things. It took two or three, it took two or three, uh, you know, two, two or three road trips before, you know, the, the, those guys caught on or what happened. My, my last year as a GA, they were really committed. I think Raleigh House Jefferson, I think, was the one that started it. And guys actually turned in real phones. Like, that, it was like a, something they did as a team together. Right. But there was only, it was one out of the six years I was with the team. And the guys, and you know, like when the guys had iPads and like they text their girlfriend, like call me on the hotel room phone. And Dump really just said it was kind of like, just to think about it, you know, like, all right, I turned in this fake phone. Do I really need to be on my phone until three o'clock in the morning? It was more of like, he described it as like a mind fuck more than anything else. But I always thought guys were turning in phones from like, like 1999, like Nokia phones with like antennas and stuff. It was like so ridiculous. We dump it out in the locker room after the game and you'd see shit you haven't seen for 10 years. I want to say Scooty gave me, a, he like didn't have his phone one time and he drew a picture on a piece of paper of a phone <laughs> and just gave it to me. And I was like, what am I going to do? This, this is my same class, but he's got about 40 pounds on me. Nothing I can do. I'll take it in the pillowcase, take it to my room. So, I mean. Oh, my do? God. The phones were phones were great. I, I just love I, – I do always wonder now if, if 
you know, like sleep, I think is really important. But I do wonder about guys that think like video games are ruining basketball. Because like, I, I don't know the answer, Raph. I really don't. You know what I mean? Some guys are really like adamant that like you got to be on the court all the time. And other guys seem to kind of understand that there needs to be a balance for players as well. Yeah, no question. But I, I think like if, if you're if you're from the mindset that cell phones or video games, you know, are ruining bad. It, that, again, man, that's a societal thing. It's it's what everybody do. I think my own kids are playing video games too much. Yeah, it drives me crazy. But I also understand that it's a different day and age than when I grew up. You know what I mean? And and uh, so I think you have to be receptive to it. But you also, I mean, it's it's a different world today that we're living in than than we grew up in so i don't know and i'm i'm torn about it but i also don't think it's changing so yeah no question uh next one better adapt next one joe mihalik uh from your old stomp grounds in the caa they're coming off a 16 game winning streak getting snapped and he said as i said to the team if everyone looks in the mirror and said what could i have done better then we'll get better it was great it was fun we enjoyed the ride but it's not the end all be all so like I said, you played on a, you coached on a team that won their first 13 games in the CAA. But I'm curious about the pressure in a one-bid league. like Because the win streak's great, but it ultimately is going to end up coming down to three or four days in your conference tournament. And you still live that now. You know, How do you deal with the pressure of, of like those days in March and assign success to seasons when like ADs and boosters and fans seem to only really give a shit about the NCAA tournament? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you know, for for the low to mid major conferences, uh, you know the multiple bid leagues are, are are going by the wayside, man. You know, you know all those bids are getting. It's so hard to get into the NCAA tournament now, and because of it, it's so hard to get into the NIT tournament. To be honest with you, it's it's all those bids are going to the you know the Power Five schools, and then you know you know some of your other top conferences or what have you. I mean, the Atlantic Ten might be a one bid league this year. Yeah. So it, it, it's real, man, and it's been real for the last couple of years. Uh, you know, it, it it changes life for you as a as a coach and a player at the low to mid major level. It, does it put more pressure on you? You know, I guess so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If if that's you know, if you're going to base everything as a coach or a player on going to the NCAA tournament, then it does it, it does put an awful lot of pressure on you. I, I think you know. Like Coach Mahalik said, going through a 13-game winning streak or 16-game winning streak, you know, you got to live in the moment and 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 try to enjoy the process, you know, because because for these guys, they're playing four years of college basketball, hopefully, and and you know, you got to you got to try to motivate them and get the most out of them as players. But you you know, it's a special time in their lives, and it's a special thing that we do, we do as coaches with our lives. So I think you got to enjoy the process. Um, you know, and, and kind of ride the wave when the when the wave's pretty good, like it was for us earlier this year. You know what I mean? It was it was a it was a fun ride, and, and but you also know the wave was going to come crashing down. And the last week, you know, we've been in the undertow, and now now we're scrambling to get out. You know what I mean? So uh, you, you gotta you gotta seize the moment. Um, you know, and and I, I don't know. I I don't really worry uh, personally. Like I don't. You can't worry about what the fans, what the boosters, even what the athletic departments are thinking. You just got to, you got to, you know, just do your job to the best of your ability and and uh, try to get the most uh, out of what you have, you know? Now, good, I mean, good advice. Like, it's just as, 
It's an interesting situation because we've talked to different coaches on this show before, and they've talked about how CBI and NIT appearances have been just so awesome for their players. And it seems like the public just thinks that like it's the NCAA tournament or bust. I mean, I remember talking to St. Peter's about their run in the CBI and how great it was, you know? And it's like, if coaches think that, it, it has to be good. It, it just has to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, we did it. Uh, we did We did it at uh, We did it at Delaware. We, we played out at Butler the year after they actually went to the national championship game. At that point, you know, in the development of our program, I thought it was a great thing. Um, I, I think what we need to realize, to be honest with you, like, I, I do agree with you. I, I think the general public doesn't even know what the C- CBI or CIT is. And the people that follow college basketball don't think it's it's a, a great thing by any means. It's it's March Madness or bust, NCAA tournament or bust, or if you're lucky enough to get into the NIT. Um, but also, like I, I don't, we get so caught up in our world and our life as college basketball coaches, players, media, what have you, that honestly, I don't think like. <laughs> I don't think people really care one way or the other. If you really break it down, we we take we take our job a lot more serious than the general public does. Yeah, there's no 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 question no question about it. We ain't as important as we think we are. Let's get <laughs> you know what I mean. Like again, I, again, I say I, I coach a kid's game for a living. You know what I mean? And and uh, what someone what, what someone thinks about what, what's you know. You value other people's opinions, certainly, but at the end of the day, that there's a there's a there's people. I think what we do is very, very important in, in, in terms of developing young men. Um, but what we do at the end of the day, there's there's plenty of people out there doing more important things for society. No, All right, you're right, you're right. We're moving on to our next segment, city review. So, what you're going to do, me and Tyler are coming to Newark, New Jersey for a weekend. You're going to take us to three restaurants, two bars, and give us one activity to do in Newark. You're on, Coach. Oh, good Lord, fellas. All right, this is what we're going to do. What time of the day you guys arriving? We'll get there before dinner. We'll get there before dinner. We'll beat the traffic. We'll get up there, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock. All right, perfect. We're going to go to McGovern's, McGovern's Tavern in downtown Newark. All right. This place, fellas, I've been to a lot of cities. I've been all over. I've been all over the country recruiting, traveling, coaching, all that stuff. McGovern's is the spot. It's my favorite neighborhood Irish pub in the world. In fact, before I even worked in Newark, I used to meet my good friend Joe Lochran here whenever I was recruiting in this part of the state uh, for, for you know, appetizers and maybe a couple cold ones. So McGovern's Tavern, we're going to do it. We'll, we'll do like a 3.30 to, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock shift there. I like it. And then we'll I like that we're calling them chefs too. I no, think that's we good. Stick that's them good. chefs because that's what a weekend should be. And we're going to take it over to uh, we're going to take it over to the Brazilian Portuguese section of town, and we're going to go to Adega Steakhouse. Ooh, uh, now we're yeah, talking. We're talking. We're going to get a culture fill up on steak. Now we're we talking about unlimited steak. Is that what we're doing, Brazilian? I mean. Yeah, if, if if the if the credit card's got no limit on it, then we're gonna have a good meal over at a Dega. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a client meeting, so NGIT's got it. That's good. <laughs> the scenery the scenery's tremendous in that in that part of town. So we're gonna do we're gonna do a good steak dinner at a Dega, and then uh, the next morning after you guys after you guys sleep one off. 
I'm going to pick you up and we're going to head over to Topps Diner, the world renowned Topps Diner. Um, what, what, what's have, a good order at Topps Diner? What should we have? You're ordering for us. I tell you what, I always do. I always do the breakfast there, but I mean, our guys love eating dinner there. So it's unbelievable. They say it's the best diner in the world. I ain't betting against it, man. <laughs> I've never had a bad meal at Topps. They do, they it. do our, they do our pregame. If we have an afternoon, oh, really? that's awesome. Our pregame. Yeah. So that's, that's the spot for breakfast. And then, uh, gosh. And then I'd probably take you over to West Orange. I got a new spot over there. Cause what I failed to mention McGovern's, which is my spot has been closed since late May for renovations. Um, I wouldn't have you guys in town until it's open because that's part of the, but, but, but what do we do after going to Tops? I take you over to West Orange, and we might, uh, and we might have lunch. We might do lunch in, a, in in an afternoon over at the Brown Bear Pub, which is the official uh, establishment of NGIT basketball. Uh, so we do a shift over there, and then in terms of activities, man, I live out in Randolph, out near Morristown. I literally come to Newark to to, to coach basketball. Um, and then I go home. So I don't really know about activities. What I will say is maybe if you guys have enough time after we do a shift over at the Brown Bear, we'll head down to Monmouth Park and, and we'll uh, we'll watch some horse race. Yeah, that's that's what we want. I mean, we can sports bet there now. It's legal. Like everything's great. You know, hopefully there'll be some money left in my pocket after the weekend. Hey, I can't. Let yeah, it, you, you can't. Well, you, 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 don't I, bet on it. Don't bet on it. You can't. No, you I can't. Do everything by the book, man. I do everything. If I'm not if I'm not coaching basketball, I'm not with my family. The, the activities I like to do would be maybe watching the Boston Red Sox on TV or live, or, or spending an afternoon at the beach or at the horse track. That's it. I'm a Mammoth Park. I, I've I've been to Mammoth Park a couple of times, which I'm sure is a surprise to absolutely no one who who listens to this podcast. So I, what? It's it's un, it's an underrated place, man. I've, that's that's one of. Uh, you know, with all my traveling and this, that, you know, I, I've actually, I've, I've been to quite a few different um, horse tracks and, and Mammoth's, it's a sneaky place, man. It's it's a good one. Yeah, we got a, we just had Nevada Smith on from the uh, Sioux Falls Sky Force and he lives in Saratoga in the summer and he spent a little while telling us why we, we needed to come up to Saratoga for like a week and just spend all five, six days at, at the tracks up there. Yeah, no, that's uh, my one year at Union. I got to know Saratoga. That's actually kind of when I, when I, when I, developed a little bit of a passion for horse racing was the year I was up in Schenectady at Union. Uh, yeah. Let's do uh, 10 touches. Rapid fire uh, question and answer. I got the first five. Uh, Raph, who's the, who's the funniest person you've worked with or a uh, player that you've coached? Funniest I've worked with. I'm going to give you a couple answers. This is off the top. I got to go with my guy, the late, great Patrick Harrington. Uh, who I worked with at Texas Pan Am, um, and who was a mentor to mine. I named my my oldest son after him. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away in a car accident uh, back in like the fall of '014. Um, but he was an hysterical guy to work with. And then I'm going to throw my guy. I'll throw my man Kevin Driscoll a lob. He's uh, he's a character. And then I'm going to come out of left field with with a Miac guy who I worked with early in my run at Delaware, Mookie Stewart, Stephen Mookie Stewart. Those three right there. It'd be tough to find three three funnier dudes than those three. 
Yeah, we know Driscoll well. Uh, that character is a good word to describe him. He's he's changed a, a ton over the, I would say, 10 years that I've known him, but never lost like that dry sense of humor. He's just a goofy dude. He's out of his mind, man. What uh, What's your worst travel experience as a basketball coach? Oh, gosh. I, I, I think that's a year-to-year question. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> That's yeah, no I, question. I, I think once a year you're going to have a, a, a bad, bad trip. You, you're going to get you, – your flight's going to get canceled. Your bus is going to break down. You're going to lose a game you shouldn't lose. So I'd say once a year you could come up with that. This year I'm going to toss out the, the four days in Florence, uh, Alabama. So that's uh, – you know, we went down there on a Thursday, came back on a Sunday, and took a loss on a Saturday. So that was a that was a bad trip for the year. I, I remember at Delaware one time we had a stretch where we went to we went to North Dakota. Uh, got got that's big time basketball out there. We we lost to North Dakota or North Dakota State. I forget which one. The, whatever the really good team is, we lost to them out there. It was like no no I'm not kidding, like minus 19 degrees out there. Then we took a flight. I want to say it was either South Bend or Ohio State, and we played them on the way back. It was one of those two two teams. We we played them both that same year. I forget. I think it was Notre Dame. And then we got stuck out in Chicago for like two days. So that one, I mean, that that trip in terms of the logistics was unbelievable. We 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 at one point we took the the, the movie planes, trains, and automobiles. We actually we we did all of that in one day. And, you know, like. The crazy part about those trips is if you go 2-0, and it's just like whatever. You know what I mean? You're happy. Like everybody's in a good mood. But if you lose and then you have bad travel experiences, it just it, it sucks. It's the worst thing in the world. We went 0-2 on that trip, and, and we were a really good team. You know what I mean? So that was a, a tough trip. And then I guess North Alabama this year, North Dakota, Notre Dame, or Ohio State that one year. And then, hey, man, any trip. But I was so young and naive and excited to be doing it. Any trip from Texas Pan American. <laughs> that, is, that is not an easy place. That, the year I was down there, we were in the, it was the last year in the Sun Belt. So that was, that was 97, 98. My first year in college coaching, we, we were second in the country in travel miles behind uh, the University of Hawaii. And we played, I think we played like 11 guarantee games that year because we were getting kicked out of the Sun Belt. We were going to be an independent. So we had all these bye games, and, and it, that was not easy, man. Is, is, is UT Pan Am now uh, Rio Grande? Rio Grande, yeah. They're actually having a pretty good year. Yeah, that's, uh, they're in like the whack, I yeah, think, right? Are. Yeah, that's, that's college basketball for you. <laughs> What uh, if you have time, you know, and you, you get a chance to sit down with your wife or your kids? What TV shows are you currently binging? Oh man, I'm I, I am boring. This is a this is a bad question for me. I, when I sit down and watch TV, you know, oh, I, I honestly like during the off. I watch I'll watch the Red Sox every time. Whenever I can watch the Red Sox, I'm watching the Red Sox. Um, this is. This is boring. It's got to be reality to me. I'm not a reality TV show guy, but like I can't watch sitcoms, man. Yeah, they're too. It's they're weird. Too I got the last I, like, I, I'll watch like I'll binge watch on like a Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, you okay, know? I'm into cooking, so I, I would watch. Hell's Kitchen. That guy's pretty. He's an intense dude. I like him, um, Gordon Ramsay. So maybe a Hell's Kitchen, or I'm a big comedy show guy. Okay. 
like 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 Billy Burrs might do. Yeah, dude, he's funny. I can you know see him like, being I'll, right up your alley. Yeah, just like you guys yeah, would go back and forth for days. He's also he's also a Red Sox fan, right? He's a huge Boston sports fan. Yes, yes. Yeah, who's uh who's Bryce Harper going to sign with, Raph? He's going to. Uh, my league sources are telling me he's signing with the Philadelphia Phillies in the next day. I think whoever whoever gets to that three hundred twenty five million number that that's that's probably where we'll see Bryce go. Uh, what uh what would you be doing if you weren't working uh, in basketball? Um, probably you know what I missed the boat, man. Probably have my own podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's not that lucrative. It's not that lucrative. <laughs> no, I, would be, uh, I never imagined. Out. I never imagined doing anything outside of sports and basketball in particular, but I'd probably, I'd be doing something where I was around people, maybe, I don't know, maybe delivering the Boston Globe in the morning and, and, <laughs> and slinging drinks at the Chatham Squire at night. <laughs> what about trying to turn the RAF, what about trying to turn the RAF report into like a real TV show? Yeah, that, I, I'd be into that. I got a, I got a, I got a face for radio though. <laughs> yeah. All three of us. Who is the, uh, who's the best player you've ever coached against? The best player I've ever coached against. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, uh, I'm just trying to against Rudy Gay, maybe from UConn. I mean, I don't know. We, you know, like, like who's the who's the one guy where you like had a scout and you were just like, how the fuck are we going to stop this guy? Yeah, Rudy Gay would would fit the bill for that. Yeah, that, yeah, uh, that would talented, do it. Talented dude. I think we were at New Hampshire at the time. It was like a Sunday. It was a Sunday afternoon game at noon, and like you know, Rudy came right from the club. We had no shot, man. <laughs> I think he had fourteen points at the sixteen minute timeout. Like. His, I don't know why Rudy Gay's coming to my mind. I've coached against a lot of really good players, but 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 that kid in particular, and, yeah. No, and Jimmy Jimmy Cal- Jim Calhoun just handed you the envelope with the like seventy five grand check on your way out the door. It sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. If you if you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Uh, the rules to benefit the student athletes, especially at the lower levels, whether that's Division two, three, you know, low major, mid major, Division one. I, I think that the rules. In, in college basketball, in particular, benefit the, the highest, the highest level programs. Um, and and to be honest with you, the, the, this this is a good question for right now. Um, the NCA is all you know. I understand they're always trying to stay a step ahead of things, and and obviously the recent college basketball scandal didn't help. You know, um, college basketball in a sense, but uh, they're trying to stay a step ahead in terms of changing the NCA rules. I, it'll be interesting to see the next couple months. I'm not crazy about the proposed changes for this spring and summer. Well, I was going to, I was thinking about that. As you said that like you guys already had five signed and I was thinking about it, like you're in a good position if that's the case. Cause like, if you got to sign somebody for 2019, you just have so few days to watch 19s, but then you also still have to watch twenties and 21s. And all of a sudden your days went from like, you know, I, I should know this off the top of my head. I don't because I'm just not into the, in the zone right now, not like locked in. But it's like you got like eight days to try to find kids. If you need to sign guys late, it's bad. It's not no, good. It, it, it's really bad. And it's just, you know what? It makes our job harder and it limits kids' opportunities yeah, it does for, a for better to life for them. And then it also, all it's going to do, fellas, is contribute to the, the, you know, if it makes it harder on us and less opportunities for the kids, it leads to more mistakes on our end. Or on the kids' end, and which leads to more transfer, and that's that's an epidemic in our game right now. 
Yeah, know, I think, no, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, 100%. That's great. Uh, what's your greatest moment in your coaching career? Uh, I, that's a good question, guys. I, it's, it's, uh, there's been a lot of really good moments. I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to work at, like I said, at all three, I've been to the NCAA tournament, at all three levels. Um, and, and every time you make an NCAA tournament, I think that's very special. The 2014 year in particular, I thought, you know, that's sticking out to my mind because it's the most recent time I've been there and, and what we had to overcome at Delaware and some things that were working against us. So that was really special to me, doing it with a bunch of guys that, that I respected and liked and cared about and a great group of kids. Um, you know, back-to-back Elite Eights at the Division Two level, which – which you guys know at the division two level, the elite eight is like one of the final four. They, you know, they, they, they do the whole. You go to, yeah, Evansville or South Dakota, wherever it is. We went to, I, we went to, uh, we went to Lakeland, Florida one year in 2003, I think it was. And then the following year, we went out to Bakersfield, California. So, so that was a great run, um, those two years. And then honestly, like off the court, like, you know, I'm in a profession, we're in a profession where, you know, we're around young men that, that, you know, hopefully they use basketball as a vehicle to, to get themselves a, a free college education. Um, and in that situation, you know, we, we come across, I've come across, I've coached, I've recruited a lot of kids that maybe are first generation college students. Um, and, and watching those kids graduate and, and, and go on to either play overseas or, or, or play professionally somewhere, but more importantly, you know, get a real job, as we like to say, and, and get married and raise families and, and, you know, and be parents and things like that. I mean, th- th- those things are really rewarding to me, you know, and, and as I get a little bit older and my kids get older and I, you know, me and my wife are going to former players, um, you know, weddings and, and, you know, watching their kids grow up, uh, you know, that's pretty neat to me. And, and I just, for example, like, you know, they're all, they all become family to you. But I, I just remember back in the early two thousands, having two kids, uh, two kids that we coached at UMass Lowell. Um, and they were both junior college kids and, and, uh, Ty Brunson and Dana Jones, like I, they both graduated the same year and, and watching those kids get their degrees was something that's, that's, you know, stuck with me my whole career for certain. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Do you have a pregame routine? Any superstitions? Uh, not really. Um, you know, I like today, you know, I, I don't like to mess with guys on game day. We'll, we'll have a walkthrough, shoot around or a walkthrough and pregame meal and, and then I always say my phone's always on. So you got whoever wants extra work or what have you call me, but I'll never like make a kid do anything extra. So I, I make myself available unless I'm doing the uh, create your shot podcast. I have to shut down 12 to one today, but, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'll get up, I, I'll get up shots with guys, you know, I'll do, you know, my pregame notes. I'll do the pre- pregame board, uh, you know, drink plenty of seltzer water and, and the best. I like that. I like that. Do you have a hidden or secret talent that you share with us? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty good on the grill. Ooh, okay, that's yeah. I'm a bit. I, I really. Skill. That would be another one of my. Uh, that would be another one of my like hobbies. I, I'm a big. I read. A, I read a lot of newspapers. I like newspapers. I like to grill. I like watching the Red Sox. I like going to the horse track. Those would be my four things. <laughs> that's perfect. I love that. Two podcast guests we need to have on. All right. 
I'm going to come out of left field with this one. I love it. If you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask a question before, but, but this, is, this is like the real standard answer for a question like this. Have you guys ever had Billy Hahn on? No. We, love we have not. You guys, Billy Hahn would be great for this show. Okay. Billy Hahn would be one. I'm going to give you three, though. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the NBA, and I can help you get all three of these guys on this wonderful podcast. Han would be a name. And then we're going to go to the association for the second guy. Guy's name is Mike Mancius. Okay. He was our student trainer at Texas Pan American in 1997-98. He was, he was a sophomore at the time. So it was my first, I was my first year out of school, my first coaching job. Mike and I became friendly because I was only like 22 at the time. I helped Mike get an internship with the NBA Summer League because I, the previous year I had been interning with the Celtics, so I still knew some people in the, in the NBA. I got Mike an internship during the summer. He's never left the NBA, and he became LeBron James' personal trainer and recovery specialist. So now he's world-renowned in, you know, in that area. Uh, and he is a very, very interesting, bright, interesting, educated guy with a pretty dry sense of humor. He would probably get a kick out of this. I would enjoy at least listening to Mike <laughs> create your shot. That's perfect. And then, and then third, and maybe, maybe most importantly for this particular podcast, we're going to leave the athletic realm. All right. We're going to go to a friend of mine. Um, who lives in the greater Tampa area, and he works for Quest Diagnostics. He's a national vice president for Quest Diagnostics. He is a sports junkie, in particular a hoops junkie. He was a very good player at Merrimack College back in the uh, – we were high school rivals, and then we became buddies later in life. His name is Darren Alex, A-L-I-X, a.k.a. D-Ball. D-Ball. That's what I want to hear. I want a guy named D-Ball on our podcast. I love it. I'm telling you right now, you guys need to he'll, – he'll end up – you guys will change the format of your podcast, and you will make, you will make him a regular – you'll make him a regular on the show. He, this, this dude can talk about anything. That's all. You're at the round table. Yeah. So those are your three guys I'm bringing to you this morning. Uh, all right, party shots. Save two questions to every guest. I got, I got the last one. I got the first one. Best advice you've ever been given, Raph? Sounds like a cliche, but my grandmother always told me, treat people the way you want to be treated. No, mm-hmm. that's, that's literally my mom. My mom's advice has only been that. Uh, and I'm doing a terrible job of it. But <laughs> <laughs> my, my last question, face-to-face with your 18-year-old self, what are you telling that person? Uh, be, be true to yourself and your family. Um, take nothing for granted, go hard or go home. Um, and shit, I guess enjoy the ride. There you go. It feels like you do those things, right? I, yeah. I would imagine that you, you're pretty true to yourself when you're talking to your 18 year old self. Yeah, I try to be, uh, I try to live by those things. Yep. All right. Well, we will get out of here because you guys do have a game tonight against Stetson. I think you told me over the phone that it was your scout. So, uh, you know, big one for big one for Team Raft tonight. But 
we are going to be following you. Hopefully, I'll, I'll get over to the uh, game against Lipscomb. I got to check and make sure. I got nothing on the calendar, but that that's uh, February 25th for anybody else in the Nashville area that's listening. But, Raph, we appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way. They are at NJIT Highland. Uh, yeah, at NJIT Hoops on Twitter. Give them a follow. And, Raph, man, good luck tonight, and good luck the rest of the way. Hey, guys, thanks for having me, man. This was a blast. Thank you.